significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Hello, DealQuest community. Corey Kupfer here with another SolarCast. And on this one, I'm going to be focusing on the RIA space and deal-driven growth and specifically some conferences. Um, there are so many conferences in, in this season, uh, uh, you know, in the fall here, especially, you know, now we're post-COVID, we're back into that conference season. But there are two in particular that I attended and actually one that I didn't attend that I want to mention a couple things about. And I will say up front here that this may be a little unusual because I am going to be bringing lessons from two different M&A conferences that were run by two of the quality investment bankers in the space that are competitors with each other. Um, but since so many of the themes were, you know, were similar in terms of what's going on in the industry and they were held a few weeks apart from each other, you know, this is just the way I'm going to do it. Now, um, I will say that there's more than enough deals for everyone in the in the RA space. Okay, there's so many deals going on, and both of these firms and other investment bankers in the space who we work with all have a lot of deals going on, and and it, it's good to have uh, you know some quality choices of folks. And 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 both of these uh, firms put on great great conferences. One is uh, is is Echelon Partners, who had their conference last month. And uh, by the time this is released, it's probably going to be two months ago. Um, their conference was end of August. And then we have DeVoe and Company who had their conference in September. DeVoe's conference was down in uh, San Diego. Uh, I mean, um, Echelon's was in San Diego. DeVoe's was in Chicago. And, you know, listen, some of the same folks on stage, some of the same uh, folks in the audience, but definitely also different folks, right? And, and um, interesting to hear the themes. So let me talk about a few things. So first of all, at the Echelon conference, there was the 10th annual uh, debate between Dan uh, Sievert, who was the, the founder and CEO of Echelon, and, and Mark Tabergian, uh, you know, the, who anybody in this industry knows who, who Mark is, uh, former head of, uh, of Pershing, uh, and, you know, now sits on boards, et cetera, you know, previous Morris Adams, all that kind of great stuff. And they do this thing every year, which is a lot of fun, where they take uh, a number of issues. I think it was, uh, I think it was six or eight this time, something like that. And, um, and they argue they're assigned a side. So they make an argument which they may or may not, you know, be aligned with, but they make an argument, a counter argument, you know, in, in the space. And then, you know, usually you hear afterwards what their real view is. And, and uh, uh, Dan does this cool thing where you get to vote on an online app and see who wins. And I will uh, reveal that uh, Mark Tabergian uh, won this year to, I think, even the score of 5-5 on the 10 years of debates. <laughs> So that was a fun thing. Uh, I'm just going to pick out, I mean, I could talk about many of the issues there, but there was uh, something that was interesting to me. And it's been something I've been thinking about for a while. And also, uh, you know, it's come up with my clients and I've been talking about it with them a lot as they consider their options out there on the different, um, you know, financing uh, acquirers, minority investors. This one was specifically on the minority investment space. And um, 
you know, Dan and, uh, and, and Mark had a debate, one side taking one, one side taking the other. But the important part is that my view of their conclusion after the fact, when they really revealed their own uh, views on it, is that they both had some skepticism about the advisability of taking a minority, uh, you know, ownership uh, interest in your firm. So that's interesting, you know, and I've seen it. There have been more and more minority investors in the space. In fact, at the DeVoe conference, I met a new minority, another minority investor in the space who I hadn't known before. And, you know, uh, the positives of minority investments in my mind are that you get to take some chips off the table, but you don't have to, you know, give away, you know, the whole thing. Many of these minority investors are doing deals at uh, 20% or less. So 10, 20%, some maybe a little more. But the point is, you know, you still have, let's say, 80% of your firm. You, you can still monetize that later. You know, as you grow, you get some either taking chips off the table, you get some growth capital. So why is there some skepticism, you know, in the space, not only from, from Dan and from Mark, but from some others as well? Well, you know, the biggest criticism, and it's really true, is that you, you may think that by taking on a minority investor, uh, into your firm that you're keeping control, right? Because you have 80%, they have 20%, for example. But that's actually true at some level, but not true at, at some important levels. Pretty much every one of these minority investors, at least the deals that I've worked on, and I can't imagine anybody's any different, they have contractual rights to have veto power over certain decisions. Like, for example, doing big deals, selling the firm, maybe even doing other acquisitions, bringing in other owners, there's sometimes uh, budgets that are set. And if you, you know, go beyond the budget or at least beyond the cushion, you know, five, maybe a five to 10% cushion on the budget, you got to get their approval. So even though they don't control more than half the voting power by ownership, they very often have a certain, you know, I mean, it's limited, but it's limited to some important things, veto power or control power over major decisions in the company. And the justification from their end is to protect their investment, Right. So, you know, there's a reason for it, but you are giving up that level of control. You are also, like I said, the good thing is you're taking tips off the table or, or, or um, getting growth capital. But the question is, is that a good time to do it? Now, right now, valuations are so high, multiples are so high, that I think there's a strong argument in favor of that as opposed to, but if you still are in significant growth mode and you think you're going to grow significantly, well, you're taking some chips off the table early and, you know, you might be worth a lot more later. Although, obviously, if you grow and valuations come down, maybe it'll even out. So um, the other criticism that's come up, which is interesting, and I think this is something that is important to do uh, significant vetting on if you're not just doing a deal for the money, because sometimes people are doing a deal just to get some capital, but uh, sometimes they're doing a deal because of perceived strategic benefits from some of these minority investors, Right. And the question is, will those materialize? And there is some criticism in the industry with some of the players out there. And I, I'm not going to mention specific names. Obviously, if you're evaluating any of these minority investments, I'd be happy to talk to you individually. But, you know, on whether these synergies really come about, like, is there a strategic benefit to that minority investor besides the money they're getting? And listen, this is the same conversation that's come up even with you know, a bigger players, right? You know, I mean, uh, Focus Financial comes to mind where they, you know, quote unquote, say they buy 50% of your cash flow roughly, but they really buy 100% of your firm and give you back 50% of your cash flow. But there are some people who swear by strategic growth opportunities that Focus has helped them. Others, you know, have been less satisfied. I've seen a number of firms grow on that platform, but others don't, you know, don't love the model. So, you know, so it's, it's not this criticism concern or at least level of vetting and due diligence you should do doesn't only apply 
to the minority investors, but it is there. And are you going to get those promised strategic benefits? And if you're not, is it still a good deal for you to do the money? So any case, oh, and by the way, the, the last thing argument against the minority investors that I, I think um, was mentioned also at Echelon Conference was that, you know, there's so many other financing options in the space, right? Lending options and, you know, uh, people are providing money, which wasn't true, you know, 10, 12 years ago. And, um, you know, wh- why not just go that route, right? Take on the debt route because now you're, you're yes, sure. Do they include some financial covenants and some restrictions? Yes, but they're not at the level of uh, the control rights that a minority investor gets. So that's the argument there. And listen, I have some people who take a minority investment are very, very happy with it and others less so. So you got to, you know, it's just an area to do due diligence. So that, that's one thing out of the Echelon Conference. Like I said, at the Bo Conference, I met a, a new player in that minority investment space who I'm going to get to know and bet they're offering, et cetera. The other thing at the Echelon Conference that, that stood out to me was this was clearly a year beyond, I'm not saying they haven't had uh, some diversity in terms of especially gender on the stage in the past, because they definitely have. But this is a year clearly that uh, that Dan and team, you know, and I know that FICOM Partners, you know, who's heavily involved in that conference had a big role in this in terms of having a lot of women on stage. In fact, there was a majority uh, of the speakers, I believe, and panelists were women, which was, you know, which was great. Uh, I mean, some phenomenal, I won't go through all of them, but you know, uh, some phenomenal women on that stage, uh, people on a stage, leaders on that stage who happen to be women. And, you know, that was uh, refreshing in what, you know, could tra- traditionally, like many other industries, you know, be seen as a male-dominant industry. So, uh, you know, that so that was great. Definitely a lot of great networking time, you know, reconnected with a lot of folks I hadn't seen in a while because of the, po- you know, because of the uh, pandemic, uh, met some new folks, you know, definitely had some of the, a number of the, you um, Serial acquirers there, aggregators, integrators. It was great to connect with them. Various of them I've been, uh, I have done deals with representing the sell side or in process of doing deals with representing the sell side, you know, so um, it was, it was great to beat the counterparts, uh, you know, there. And one of the things that's, uh, you know, that was another theme that came out of that, which is certainly a great thing for me because I can't tell you how many of the uh, uh, aggregators, the integrators, the people who've done a, you know multiple deals, talk to me about the fact that they want good counsel on the other side, on the sell side. In fact, frankly, I got you know put on a couple of the uh, approval lists uh, for recommendations from some of the big players because the the worst thing for them is that they get a seller who hires. Uh, you know, local counsel who doesn't really, I mean, first, the worst thing is, you know, let's say they're they are not even good M&A attorneys. I mean, <laughs> well, I won't say who it is, but one of the CEOs of one of the big acquirers uh, told me they had one deal where uh, the lawyer on the other side was an environmental litigator. And they basically had to say to the seller, listen, uh, the deal's off. We won't get it done unless you, you got to get a real M&A lawyer. But then on top of that, there are plenty of people who have a lot of M&A experience, but they don't know the industry, Right. And it's crucial that you have somebody that knows the industry. And frankly, there aren't that many of us who, you know, I, I, I talk about in, uh, in the distinction video that I have on my website, on the Cuffle Law website, uh, about, you know, one of the big differentiators for us is that most of the firms that have worked with hundreds of our RA firms and like breakaway broker teams and getting RA started, like we have really our compliance firms. That's their main focus. And they might, I'm not saying some of them haven't added some corporate and theoretically deal capabilities, but frankly, the level of, you know, decades of deal experience, you know, and, and doing so many deals in general. And then in this industry, having the tax capability that we have, uh, you know, uh, the combination of the robust M&A uh, support and the 
and the um, and experience and the RA industry knowledge, you know, is is rare. So, um, you know, for us, that's uh, actually a great opportunity because the again, the buyers want quality counsel on the other side. They actually, you know, you might think they they don't because oh, they'll get an advantage. But the truth is, they want to move deals forward. They want to get them done. They're big players. They're ready to deal with quality counsel who's going to protect their clients. They're not looking to, you know, many of these, most of these models, people are coming on and staying on, at least for a period of time. And certainly, you know, G2, the next generation, stay, maybe staying on for a while. Um, they want them to be a partner. So they're not looking to screw people. So they want to move a deal along and get it done. Um, and they're not looking for some advantage to take advantage of a, of a firms that are not well represented. They want them well represented. So it's a great opportunity for me, but it also shows you something, right? You know, it shows you something about how you get deals done. And that's true in most industries. You know, quality buyers want uh, quality sellers and and, and quality counsel. Um, so that was something that came out of that as well. Uh, I'm going to move over. There's so much more I could talk about. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, Dan had me as an expert. Um, uh, so you know, he has these expert sessions, and uh, you know, I got to meet a number of people. So I really appreciate that from Dan Siever and Echelon. I've I've uh, either been a speaker or an expert at uh, you know at least four or five, maybe at least four, maybe five of, of their conferences over, you know, over the 10 years. Uh, so super appreciate that. And, um, you know, the international is definitely one of the uh, quality investment banking firms in the space. The O conference now, let's talk about that. So a lot of the themes, by the way, uh, uh, and, and I'll relate this back, DeVoe and Echelon, you know, they, bo they both uh, run a lot of analytics and numbers and whatever. And, and, you know, although their numbers aren't exactly the same, Basically, the, the the conclusions in both conferences about who is doing deals. I mean, I remember specifically at DeVoe, they said 91% of the deals this past year were done by the big, you know, by by the aggregators and integrators, the big firms, right? That's a very high percentage. And I think Echelon's numbers were, you know, was, was in that range. So, you know, there are basically professional buyers out there. It doesn't mean, by the way, I mean, you still have 9% of the deals and considering deal volume is significantly up, you know, you still have you know, there'll be 300 plus deals this year, probably. So you're still going to have over 30 deals done by non-aggregator buyers. And in fact, we have some buy side deals that we're doing. You know, we have one that uh, should sign, uh, you know, in the next day or so. Actually, by the time you hear this, it will have been signed, you know, we'll represent uh, uh, the buyer. And we have, you know, others going on as well. So, you know, don't be discouraged. You can be a buyer, even if you're not one of the big aggregators. And there may be ways you can contrast yourself to them, but the, the full majority of deals are be, being done by these big aggregators, integrators that are, you know, um, most often uh, venture backed. They have the capital, they have the professional management, they've got the deal teams. Um, so that's definitely a consistent message we got at both conferences. And again, uh, DeVos stat was ninety one percent of those deals, which is very, you know, interesting. And at DeVos conference, I got to meet, uh, you know, another um, set of the major players, and at similar you know, connections and results, uh, you know, with them because uh, they're looking to get deals done, you know, um, as well. And and I would say at the DeVoe conference, that there were two aggregator panels, integrated aggregator panels where they had a few people uh, talking. And those are some of the best, uh, you know, they were really uh, talked about um, what I like was they spent a lot of time like talking about their particular models, their philosophies, who they're looking to attract, who are the best candidates for them. Um, and, you know, there was such a, even though they're quote unquote competitors, there was such a diversity of approaches, of models, so that, you know, some would appeal to some, some would appeal to others. Um, and you could definitely see that by them being up there. In fact, it's inspired me to do a, um, some episodes. It might turn into a full special series 
on interviews with the RAA aggregators and integrators, the CEOs and top executives of these major players to try to um, provide a space, you know, because not everybody attends these conferences. And I often get questions um, from folks about, okay, you know, there's all these players about, uh, you know, out there, we hear about them, right? You know, from, you know, whoever, Hightower to Allworth to EP to uh, Beacon Wealth to uh, Sanctuary to uh, Summit to, you know, you keep on and on and on and on, right? I'm, I'm missing the Serity. I'm missing, you know, a lot of them. But, okay, how do I make a decision? What's the difference? Yes, obviously, I know I have to get to know the people and, you know, build relationships and check out culture. But also, you know, what is what is their differences? What are their business models? What do I get? What kind of valuations are they paying? Do they have an equity piece? What is the expectation going forward, right? You know, Mercer's model is very, very different than Summit's model, right? Uh, you know, uh, so I obviously spent a lot of time explaining that to my clients, but as a service to the industry, uh, I think one of the inspirations I, or I know one of the inspirations I got out of this, and in fact, at this point, I've already gotten several of them committed, is to do a podcast, a DealQuest podcast series that is specific to the RIA aggregator integrators and uh, to have each of them be able to come on and talk about what is the model, what are their advantages, what are they, who are they looking to attract, uh, and all that kind of stuff as a service to the to the industry and, you know, to help people uh, sift through all of the great opportunities that we have in the industry now. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. At the Devo conference as well, uh, they had a couple of those uh, leaders, uh, you know, be these uh, interviewed keynotes, which was, you know, fun getting into the, uh, the heads of these guys, you know, and, and, and hearing the stories about you know, what they grew and, you know, and what inspired them to create what they created. Um, so that was fun. Uh, I had a, uh, I had some clients with me at the DeVoe uh, conference uh, who were early in the, uh, you know, in, in the figuring out the space. So they, they really got uh, a great education on the landscape and it was fun to spend time with them. And by the way, that's something I would suggest, you know, uh, either of these conferences, I mean, many, many of uh, the advisors go to you know, the Schwab Impacts and, you know, Fidelity's Conference and uh, and some of these other big conferences. And, you know, that's great. You know, and they have a lot of stuff in there that's uh, obviously related to, uh, you know, investments and uh, operations and compliance or whatever. But it's a great way to get a great exposure. In fact, uh, uh, my clients describe this as a fire hose. I think it's true. Both those conferences, it's a fire hose of information, especially if you're new to the M&A space. But it's a great way to just 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 get a feel, learn for it. What's the environment out there? see whether it's, you know, it's, it's potentially for you. Um, so I would definitely, definitely recommend that. At DeVoe, they also had some experts, uh, uh, expert sessions that people can, can, can sit down and do. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't an expert this year, uh, but, um, you know, uh, definitely have a good relationship with DeVoe and company. And, um, and uh, we've done many, many deals together. In fact, Dave and I know each other from back when he was at Schwab. We used to join talks on succession and deals uh, from back in the day. Um, so, and, and listen, you know, this is also for me, 
to be able to, um, you know, see where, where those folks are at. Cause I make recommendations, um, you know, and, and, and I like to put, you know, different options on the table for my client. Listen, you know, when an investment banker refers me, they'll usually put me in with a couple of other attorneys, right? Cause no matter how good you are, whatever, not everybody, you know, it's an important relationship. Not everybody meshes with everybody um, in, in the exact way or, or, you know, likes their, their style, their approach or their fee structure, whatever it is. Um, so, you know, similarly, I will often, you know, put, you know, a few of the bankers on the table in the space and certainly um, Echelon and DeVoe are two of them that, you know, we talk about. I, I will tell, I will use this opportunity to talk about, you know, what I'm seeing. I mean, uh, certainly uh, Liz Nesvold and uh, it was now Raymond James, sold Silver Lane to Raymond James, is still a big player in the space. We got something going on with, 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 with them. Um, uh, Advisor Growth Strategies, AGS, uh, uh, John Fury and, and, and Brandon Cowell, uh, who, you know, I've traditionally seen as much more consultants in the space, you know, on compensation, equity structures, have really gotten into the eminent space. We have, we have, you know, several deals going on with them. You know, there are other players in the space, the Mercers, the Park Suttons, and, you know, and others who, you know, maybe we, we do a little less with. But, you know, that we're fortunate to have a number of quality players in the space, which gives options to clients. And like I said, there's, there's so many deals out there that, you know, people will find the right fit. And I, uh, I appreciate, you know, certainly DeVoe and, and Echelon are two of them. Um, I'm going to quickly mention uh, one of this other conference I mentioned that I wasn't at, uh, which is was called Future Proof, which came in between these two M&A conferences. You know, it's interesting to me, I, 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 I had heard about it, but it was the first year and I had these other two, you know, I, I'm not somebody who runs around at every conference in the industry. I've got a business to run and work to do and, all that stuff. Um, but, you know, I saw a lot of people posting about it afterwards. And conceptually, it just seemed like a great, you know, fun event. I mean, it was basically billed as a, as a, a, a you know, investment advisor, investment, you know, uh, wealth management um, sort of uh, festival. Uh, so if you can imagine a music festival where it's outdoors and there are different stages and venues and food and whatever, uh, you know, like you'd have in a music festival, they, they sort of, they created apparently that environment. Um, in the wealth space. And, you know, there's two things I want to say about that, you know, just judging from what I saw from the outside, not, 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 um, not being there. Um, you know, one is, I, I just like the innovation, right? I, I mean, listen, the Bowen Echelon do a great job, you know, sort of keeping it really tight, day and a half of content, uh, usually like a dinner the night before. I like it. It's efficient. It's strong. The content's good. But, you know, many of these conferences, including those and what impact and uh, all these other conferences, you know, are pretty typical models, right? You're in a hotel conference room or, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, you have sessions and they have breakouts in some of them, some of them, you don't. you know, this was a totally different model. Um, and it looked kind of fun and cool. People were outdoors. They were, you know, casually dressed. And the other thing that I think is, uh, so, you know, so innovation um, and trying different things and attracting different people. I think is, you know, is a great lesson, right? Whether it's uh, whatever business we're in. Um, the other thing that I heard and saw from the, uh, you know, from the reports is that it attracted a younger crowd, which I think, especially in this industry is absolutely crucial. I mean, if anybody knows, and listen, it came up at the, at the conferences at the Bowen Echelon about, you know, next gen, right? And, you know, and the industry continues not to do a great job of bringing in younger folks, bringing in more diversity, that kind of stuff. Well, you know, if you have something that's maybe more appealing, you know, to young folks, right? Like a like a like an outdoor music festival type environment, 
I heard there were a lot of younger advisors there. And how great is that, right? Maybe it'll attract more people in the industry. Maybe it's a way for younger advisors to get to know other folks and have more of a role and, you know, things like that. So I think that, um, uh, you know, again, I'm not going to say much more because I wasn't there, but from the outside, those are the things that I really liked about it. It's definitely put it on the radar for me the next year, you know, and I think probably for a number of other people. So, you know, I heard content was from several people, content was different, decent. That's an area maybe they could do some more work in, but, you know, listen, it was their first year, right? Uh, so I give them a lot of props for, uh, you know, for the innovation and for challenging the model. And I'll definitely look forward to uh, uh, checking it out next year. Talking about, you know, younger folks in G2, that was definitely a theme that came up on uh, certainly uh, in both conferences, but there was a particular one of the aggregator integrated panels that, um, that DeVoe had. They particularly talked about that a lot. And it's also one of the reasons why I want to have these folks on this special series that I'm going to do uh, the DealQuest podcast, you know, to talk about, uh, and it was particularly relevant for uh, the client I had there because they have uh, a, uh, a father, son, and nephew uh, team where there's a generational difference. And, you know, there's always different concerns that G2, the next generation has in terms of, uh, you know, when there's a deal to um, sell the company to any kind of buyer, certainly, you know, uh, whether it's integrator, aggregator, or just another RA firm. And, um, you know, whereas the older generation may be looking mainly to monetize, maybe take some equity to have some upside, uh, you know, the younger generation has other concerns, right? You know, is it the right time for them to sell? Maybe they want to build more because they got more of a runway. Because they have more of a runway, they're more concerned about the ongoing relationship. And I'm not saying that the older generation is not, you know, but if they're coming in thinking they'll transition in a couple of years after their earnouts done, well, you know, that's very different than somebody who may have 10 or 15, 20, 25 years left, you know, in the, uh, in the industry. So, uh, you know, how are these platforms, how are these aggregates, integrators um, addressing uh, that? And there was some discussion uh, on this panel and certainly in other parts, uh, you know, uh, at both conferences on the benefits of these potential deals to G2, to the next gen, um, in terms of the ability of some of these uh, firms to help them accelerate their growth, right? Because one of the things is, wait, I'm not getting paid in full for my growth now because I haven't had it yet, right? I'm just starting a building and maybe I've had some really good success, but I've got so much runway left. Well, you know, if, if the uh, firm you join can help you accelerate that growth, right? Because they have marketing programs that may be bringing clients and send them to you or because they're freeing you up by taking over a lot of the back and middle office and admin and compliance stuff that maybe you spend some time on and now you're freed up to really go out and get more clients and service them better. Well, maybe your growth rates go up significantly and and some of the, 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 the firms had specifics on how they've helped people grow. And then, so you earn more compensation. And then in the models where you have an equity piece, well, okay, you also get the value of, uh, you know, now, of course, it's not specific to what you bring in. You're depending upon the growth rates of the firm overall. And hopefully what they're doing for you, they're doing for others and, and others are doing well and, and the firm's growing, uh, you know, at a faster rate, you know, but, but, but uh, that would be uh, some of the things that these aggregators and integrators have to show G2 to have them feel comfortable and think about coming over, you know, to um, uh, to those platforms when they're earlier in the career and maybe could stay where they're at or maybe break away and do their own independent already firm if they're not already, because they may be already some some of those, but some of them are on, you know, various uh, 
other, whether it's insurance companies or IBDs or things like that. Um, so those people are there, you know, their options to maybe they go fully independent, build this thing for a while. Um, so, but I think, you know, a number of the integrated integrators have done a good job in trying to, you know, in creating a value proposition for even these younger folks. So that was evident at the conference. And, you know, again, we'll, we'll, that'll be a theme of the, of the special series that I'm about to do with these uh, leaders of the um, integrators and aggregators. Uh, that's also, I keep saying integrators and aggregators, and that was also something that came up about, uh, I think it was mainly at the Debo conference, uh, about, well, you know, what is the difference between an aggregate and an integrator, right? And although some of the models are hybrid, you know, at a, at a very fundamental level, there are firms out there that fully, into, I mean, take a Mercer, right? A Mercer's one brand, right? You come into the Mercer brand. They also have, um, you know, very specific ways, investment philosophies, approaches, systems that they want you to roll into, right? And there are advantages to that in terms of the ability to scale and consistency and building a, the value of one brand, right? There are other models, right, out there uh, that, uh, you know, Summit's one of them, there are, you know, a number of others where you can keep your own branding, right? Focus Financial does that, you know, for example, people have their own, their own branding um, and they're really aggregators and there may not even be as much synergy in terms of cost savings or things like that, but they do still integrate certain things. So that's why there's always a, you know, often they're integrating some, you know, financial back office compliance, tech, you know, things like that. In uh, you know some of the platforms, there's more uh, variety in terms of your ability to choose your own tech, uh, maybe off of a list as opposed to you know having to be hard coded. So those are things that also you know to look at and and you know were discussed, uh, and that's the distinction between aggregator and integrator, and how how much of an aggregator we have we have freedom, uh, you know, uh, not only you know to keep maybe your own branding, your own management choices, your own way you handle clients, your own tech stack, things like that, and how much has to be integrated into the platform, um, you know, whether it's whether it's you know in any of those categories is always an interesting take and something that you should be looking at, you know, at both conferences, one of the best, and I find this true these days in almost any conference that I'm at. I'm going to one um, uh, in Denver in, uh, in, in, in October, which will probably actually, by the time this episode's ads, I, add, I will have been there, which is um, uh, the Entrepreneurs Deal Exchange Conference, the EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, my EO Deal Exchange Conference. Um, and that's more general, you know, entrepreneurial, not just in the RA space. Um, and I'm sure it's going to be the same thing. You know, it's true in all these where, and that is that a lot of the time that's valuable is spent at the dinners and, and drinks and, and, the, and the hallways on the break. You know, not that the content's not amazing, but it's really those relationships that you build. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to see some folks. In fact, um, I extended my Denver trip earlier. I, I'm coming earlier because I have three different meetings there now out of the two conferences uh, with people I connected who are in the Denver space and said, hey, when you get to Denver, let's sit down and talk more about synergies. And I said, well, actually, I'm going to be there next next month. So, and, you know, and they both do a really good job of going out of the way to try to make sure you meet the right people, you know? Um, so I really appreciate uh, Dan and Dave and their teams for that. Um, it's been certainly great for me. So, uh, yeah, just as an example, I've got, I've, you know, I've got three meetings in Denver that I didn't otherwise have, had to change my flight to do that, but it's 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 well worth it. Um, you know, folks I connected with or reconnected with, at uh, at uh, the Echelon and uh, uh, and the Bo Conference. Actually, those were uh, those were all out of the Echelon Conference. That, those, that all my Denver stuff was out of the Echelon Conference. So uh, I want to give credit where credit's due. I made other great connections at the Bo Conference, but it's not it's not Denver. 
So any case, um, yeah, listen, uh, like I said earlier, these are both great conferences. Frankly, there are many people who attend both. And I think they attend both because uh, they, like me, have relationships with both, but also because there's great content. And frankly, because there's great networking and all those, there's overlap of some speakers and attendees. Um, you know, it's not, there, there are also differences of people, you know, who attend and, you know, opportunity to meet new people and reconnect, uh, you know, with, with old people as well. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any other big themes. I mean, yeah, I, let's talk a little bit about um, what folks are seeing at a, at a macro level. And in, in both um, the consistency of belief for the most of the um, speakers is that, um, yeah, there's a lot of powder still out there. The um, uh, private equity firms still have a lot of money in play. Um, deals have generally remained strong. Um, the the pace of growth. So we've had significant growth every year in the RA industry in terms of number of deals. So the pace of growth looks like it will slow this year. Year meaning that there will be growth more deals than last year, but not as a uh, as, as higher percentage growth rate as as the last year. Um, there is a uh, you know so the consistent belief was that we have some more runway here and deals are going to go for a while. I mean obviously there's some countervailing factors certainly that are pushing against that you know between interest rates going up and the the the, the stock market you know being volatile and and down and 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 some of the other and the risk of recession and all this you know stuff people are talking about which hopefully won't become a self-fulfilling prophecy but i you know so so there was certainly some debate on whether there's going to be a slowdown um there was uh, and whether valuations are going to be affected I think there was general consensus across both conferences with most people saying that so far, as I have said, you know, on, on a number of things that so far um, uh, valuations haven't been significantly affected. I think there's also general consensus that um, deal structures are starting to be affected a little bit, especially maybe, you know, uh, upfront money coming down, you know, it, it gotten very, very high and it gone from, you know, traditionally, I used to say, you, you know, you get a quarter to a third down and the rest on the back end. You know, we've had deals that are certainly, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80% down um, in these days. So it's, you know, it's pushing back where more stuff is on the back end, more um, uh, tied to, re to retention, um, you know, or the, and or some keggers on the ability to grow. Um, so, you know, that's natural. It's, uh, you know, moves risks from, from the uh, buyer to the seller, which in an uncertain environment, uh, and especially when when things are uh, you know, the market's down, so the revenue's down, so the EBITDA's down, so the, the numbers are down a little bit in the last number of months. You know, you, you don't want to pay for revenue that's not that's not going to be there, and the profits that you know EBITDA profits that are not going to be there. So you know, there's some more back end ability, which would allow folks if the market does come back up to recapture that value, um, but not have these the the buy and pay it um, if uh, there is um, uh, you know if, if it doesn't come back right. Um, some of this stuff was discussed in a uh, in a family wealth report article for Charlie Baker that I uh, that I posted, which will now by the time you hear this be a little while ago. But if you haven't read it, it's worth it's worth pulling up um, that Charlie did after the DeVoe conference, talking about the viewpoints of various of these folks, including Dave DeVoe and uh, David D David Barton uh, from Mercer and Bob Oros from uh, uh, from Hightower and uh, Jim Dixon from from Sanctuary and uh, and you know and a couple other folks. Um, and I was quoted in it as well, so you can pull up that article and read it. 
Um, and uh, Charlie did some re good reporting, uh, you know, and Ian uh, went could see why I had plenty of articles out on both these conferences. So you can check that and check out that stuff. But, you know, listen, uh, you know, so those are some of the lessons uh, that I got out of both of them. They're both well, well worthwhile being at. Check them out uh, next year. And I'm going to check out not, not only will I, I'm sure, be back at both Echelon's uh, Deal and Dealmakers Conference or, and DeVos uh, Deals and Succession Conference, but I'm also likely to check out this Future Proof uh, Conference next year and see what all the, um, you know, hullabaloo's uh, uh, about and, and see how they, maybe they're disrupting the conference model. I like music festivals, so uh, we'll see if I like a investment advisory uh, outdoor festival uh, type uh, type conference. Um, with that, folks, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, end this episode. Uh, definitely join us next week uh, as we'll be picking up. Uh, most of you know we do a rhythm generally with. Uh, three guest uh, interviews, and then uh, and then uh, um, the fourth one, uh, the fourth week is a um, is a solo cast. And also look out for this uh, special series that looks like it's coming together um, with these um, uh, with these leaders of the integrators aggregators to really hear about their models and their advantages and types of deals that they're getting done in the RA space. Uh, okay, deal course community. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.